Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Alex Capri is joining us. He is the senior lecturer at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy and Business School at NUS, talking about geopolitics, the supply chain. Alex, great to have you with us. Where are we right now in this global mess of a supply chain that we're in? Well, you know, the world, as I think most people have noticed by now, is going through a major paradigm shift uh, when it comes to how governments and businesses have to approach cross-border commerce. Uh, And that, of course, means there's a huge impact on physical supply chains as well as, you know, digital supply chains, data. Uh, from From a physical supply chain perspective, because of the geopolitical rivalry that has emerged, obviously between China and let's just call it the G7 and plus, um, you know, we're seeing global supply chains splitting uh, or fragmenting into three, three very distinct bands. Okay. I would say the first band would apply to, to strategic and critical goods. So we've all heard a lot about semiconductors and rare earths and pharmaceuticals. Um, That is, that is actually uh, sort of, uh, expanding outwardly to include um, pretty much, um, you know, the whole range of emerging and foundational technologies dealing with AI and 5G. Mm. And and now, of course, because of the Ukraine war, we're seeing um, issues around energy and food security, again, all directly tied to supply chains. So that's that's the first band, right? That's the first critical band of supply chains. It's strategic stuff. And that is the stuff that is very reluctantly and painfully for many uh, decoupling, divorcing, if you will, primarily from China. And the discussion now is around, uh, you know, reshoring, ring fencing. You've probably heard the term by now, friend shoring, you know, moving supply chains into sort of safe and friendly confines geopolitically and geographically, um, you know, amongst allies, that sort of thing. So that's really, that's the first band. The Hmm. second band is a much broader, but very nebulous uh, band. It's, it's a gray area. And that includes a lot of things that could be impacted by this whole strategic uh, issue, export controls and sanctions, so-called dual use technologies, right? These are commercial technologies that end up in everything from our smartphone to our toaster. Mm. Um, But they could very well be linked uh, to uh, export controls and sanctions because they're dual use, meaning they are commercial in nature, but they could possibly be used for military purposes. And the end user could possibly be um, a rival or somebody that's been blacklisted. Hmm. So that's that's a pretty big band. And that's a very uncertain area, right? So companies that uh, that are trading and that are, you know, that have very extensive global supply chains in this gray zone, they could wake up tomorrow morning and find that, um, you know, their longtime partner has been put on a sanctions list. Wow. And I think that depends on, you know, to what extent the uh, the relationship between China and, and the G7 and the West, if you want to call it that. I don't like to use that term because it's, it's broader than the West. Uh, but depending on what might happen geopolitically in the South China Sea, what might happen, uh, you know, regarding Taiwan, for example. Yeah. So within that gray zone, that second zone of uncertainty, if you will, there could be a lot of movement. The third, the third area, or the third uh, sort of uh, fragment or level of global supply chains is basically everything else—stuff that nobody thinks about, nobody really cares about, right? Your shampoo, 
maybe maybe you know you're wearing apparel, uh, your toothbrush, you know whatever it happens to be. Um, you know those supply chains, presumably, presumably, and again, you know uh, anything is possible, but those supply chains will will pretty much remain intact as will a large uh, a portion of the you know, supply chains in the gray zone. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying that global supply chains are fragmenting, localizing, regionalizing, and they're doing it in, in, you know, based on the different kinds of goods and commodities that we're talking about. Wow. And Alex, are we prepared for this? We talk about supply chains a lot. And if you look at, Glenn and I have been talking throughout this show about the, the localization of politics. You see it in Europe, you see it in the US, you see it in parts of Asia, you certainly see it in the UK at the moment. I was in the UK last week and they're talking about cutting taxes, reducing you know, the same old rhetoric, but they're not addressing the big issues about supply chains, cost of living crisis and so on. Are we prepared for this? I think the answer to that is probably no. And how bad is this going to get globally and also bring it home to Singapore as well? Yeah. Um, uh, the short answer, Neil, is uh, look, after three plus decades of hyperglobalization, it's very, very difficult to try and start thinking about a different paradigm, right? Where, you know, Again, you know, economic efficiencies in an age where technology has has allowed for very efficient, very low cost, uh, you know, globalized supply chains with a free flow of goods and money and people and so forth. Um, you know, we we've we've been we've grown accustomed to this, right? Uh, this is this is the world as we know it. So I think in the corporate world, particularly. Um, it's very, very difficult to confront this. Mm. Uh, you know, particularly American uh, American companies, European companies as well, where you know everything focuses on the quarterly, uh, you know, balance sheet. Right? Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's very difficult to look at this and say we need to start planning for um, not just uh, you know the term has been used uh, you know just in case instead of just in time mm. supply mm. chains. Right? Interesting. Um, and uh, you know that's a very very difficult thing to get to get your mind around and to and and to get your management uh, process around. But the fact of the matter is that um, economic efficiency uh, is taking a back seat, at least in that that upper band of the supply chain that I described, uh, to geopolitics. So that, you know it, yeah. the, the primacy of geopolitics now dictates, even if it's far less efficient, uh, we lose. Economies of scale, we lose, uh, you know, rational uh, rationalization. This whole idea of comparative advantage, right? You move your, you buy from the people who who do something the best and can offer it to you for the for the best price. You move your production operation to to the parts of the world that again are the most efficient uh, and the most effective to do it, and you piece your whole supply chain around that. When it comes to the primacy of geopolitics and the, the issue of sanctions and you know what we discussed earlier. That no longer is the case, and that's hmm. a very, very difficult thing to come to terms with. So, Alex, um, just to add to that, so we must accept, I'm, I'm hearing, rising prices, possibly cost of living issues as we move forward, inflation. There's no way around this. Is that is that right to say or not? Well, look, I, I think there are short-term, uh, I don't want to say fixes, but there are things that, that governments can do through public-private partnerships, for example, to ameliorate. Uh, some of the pain. But look, this is a major historic transitional yeah. period. We are transitioning f 
from hyper-globalization to uh, a period of globalization, right? You know, global localized companies and a, and a, and a major focus on um, regionalization and localization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, if, if governments are pushing multinational companies to, uh, you know, to execute, uh, and, and of course, you know, I think a good example of this is is reshoring uh, semiconductor manufacturing to the United States, right? We've all been hearing about yep. chips yep. Uh, and, 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 and so on. This is a time now where governments are going to have to put up money uh, and they're going to have to step in. They're going to, and they are becoming more activist. They are becoming, uh, you know, we could say, you know, we're moving from a period of laissez-faire uh, economics among the you know, the so-called Washington consensus and the, the sort of the, the intelligentsia, if you will, when it comes to international trade, we're moving from, from that laissez-faire uh, perspective to a much more managed trade perspective. Hmm. Uh, and that means new tensions between state and non-state actors as governments uh, insert themselves into the market more and more. Hmm. Uh, and that also means that, uh, you know, there are, there are there are risks and there are costs that governments are going to have to bear that that private companies can't be or shouldn't be expected to bear. Yeah, right. right. Um, if they're going to be asked to completely restructure their supply chains away from what is has been the most efficient way to do it to one that complies with a geopolitical objective. Mm. We're talking with Alex Capri, senior lecturer at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy and Business School at NUS. Uh, Alex, you and I were on a, a webinar earlier this week talking about this topic. And one of the one of the topics within this that came up, and it is such a, it is such a massive discussion to have uh, in such a short time, but let's talk about the labor uh, elements. You know, many of our listeners um, uh, here in Singapore and around the world are, are keenly aware that Labor has been a problem as it relates to the supply chain challenges that we've had. Getting labor, keeping labor, labor costs, uh, and all of that. Where, where, what are the trend lines that you're seeing as it relates to companies trying to either retain their labor or get new labor or get ship people around the world if they're a multinational company uh, wanting to base somebody uh, offshore? What, what, do, what do those trend lines look like? Well, I mean, in general... Uh, labor and development of talent is now moving to the very top of, of the priority list for any kind of, uh, of business that's, that's global or even that's, that's local or regional. Um, and that means that this, this has gone from sort of a short-term uh, need to a mid to long-term, I'm talking 5, 10, 15-year strategy wow. uh, where, where businesses and companies have to invest in uh, local talent pools, uh, local educational systems, uh, and I'm talking K through 12 and university. And increasingly, um, I think the apprenticeship programs that we're seeing emerging in different countries, Germany historically has done this very well. Uh, but the idea that a college degree isn't necessarily as important anymore as a skill set. Yeah. And, you know, basically it, it's about um, recruiting, uh, you know, people that that can learn, that are continually able to adapt and to learn and to upskill. Um, and, you know, you know, does a four year college degree necessarily uh, impart that? 
Maybe in some fields, but but in a lot of areas, and, and, and I'm talking about AI, blockchain, whatever you want to talk about, um, this we're, we're moving more and more to a kind of rolling apprenticeship program. And, mm. and of course, people need soft skills and, and people need to be able to work, uh, you know, well with others and so forth. Those are those those become very important skills. Yeah. Um, but it's a long term commitment and investment. And here again, we have to see and we will see. And we are seeing um, the emergence of public-private partnerships. Are companies able to to yeah. you know handle a long-term look like that? You said five, ten, fifteen years. Mm. I mean, most companies, especially in the West, are looking to the next quarter, right, or or the next exactly. half year. How, how do they exactly. manage this? And, and yeah, well, it, it, there, it, it's gonna it's going to happen uh, because as we see, either you know selective sanctions, and you know we haven't even talked about um, climate change. Uh, and things like you know carbon taxes and and more and more uh, uh, pressure uh, to to actually measure carbon footprints. Uh, so again, all of this is pushing towards a you know make where you buy model if yeah. you can do it. Mm. Um, now, obviously, again, it has to be economically efficient, uh, but we'll get there. I, I I do think we'll get there, and I don't think this is all bad news. I think there's actually a, a silver lining here. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot of economic um, gains to reinventing and restructuring and solving, you know, this kind of problem. But it's fascinating, Alex. It genuinely is fascinating, this conversation, because this labor mismatch that we're talking about here, if I understand you correctly, then we're almost rolling back slightly some of the policies of a globalization of the last 20, 30 years. If you think of a country like Singapore, primarily built to a degree on foreign talent, the, uh, the, the import of both labor and industry, now you're suggesting, I think if I understand it right, you're suggesting the opposite. We're going to start producing our own content, our own food, our own whatever, and we're going to produce our own talent over a 5, 10 or 15 year period. If that's what I'm understanding, can a country like Singapore do that? Because traditionally, Singapore couldn't survive without foreign imports of all kind. Yeah. No, another great, I think it's a great point. Um, uh, Look, this is not a zero sum uh, sort of situation, right? Uh, It's not an all or nothing. Um, but I mean, clearly the needle has shifted, and it and it's it's moved in the direction that we've been discussing. But for a for a country like Singapore, um, I, I think Singapore will exemplify um, countries that are that are looking to stay as open as possible. And and, and you you know you see things like uh, the digital economy agreements, for example, the digital trade agreements, the resilient supply chain uh, agreements that Singapore is entering into with other like-minded uh, countries. We will clearly see more of those, uh, and 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 what this I think really does is it shows how the world is coalescing around sort of different uh, different uh, rule frameworks and and different standards and ideologies when it comes to cross border trade and so forth. Things you know, if you look at digital trade, for example, and you look at things like data privacy, uh, you know, you look at um, you know issues that deal with, um, you know, uh, data localization, for example, um, you know, clearly the world is dividing into different, different blocks around issues like that. And I think Singapore is, is, is pushing really hard to stay open, to stay transparent, to stay connected. Um, and, and so we do have a bit of a paradox, right? Mm-hmm. We have 
uh, particularly when you talk about digital trade and data and services exploding because of the technology revolution and certainly because of, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, more and more digital trade, more and more e-commerce, more and more business taking place online. Um, at the same time, we have these tensions that have resulted in sanctions and in blockages of, and flows of, of different supply chains. So there is a bit of a paradox that, that everybody has to deal with now, not just Singapore. Yeah, um, uh, so in general, it, you, know, uh, you know, you look at those three bands and we didn't really talk about data flows. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a lot more uncertainty and companies are going to have to make that adjustment. Back to the physical, Alex, and we're going to have to kind of wrap it up here in, in just a moment. But when we look at Singapore as, a, as a, one of the world's largest transshipment ports, um, what does the government need to do? What does PSA need to do? Um, to react, respond to a fall off in in uh, in transport, a fall off in transshipment. What is that looking like for one of the key industries uh, here in the city state? Well, I, you know, like any other industry, uh, you know, they, they, there are issues around uh, modernizing, upgrading, upskilling uh, when it comes to more services. Uh, around trade. So, you know, I think platforms and other types of services to facilitate digital trade, right? Because that's a growing part of the economy. Uh, that That's really important. For physical trade itself, look, there's always going to be a need to move physical commodities around the world. There's always going to be a need for uh, regional uh, logistics hubs. And really, I think it's, it's, it's about, you know, maintaining the edge uh, uh, cost competitively, uh, as well as you know efficiencies and so forth. So clearly, Singapore will see more competition, um, you know, with in, within regional uh, you know regional ports and so forth. But um, you know, and the other thing, of course, is to is to partner uh, with uh, with some of the other uh, ports and, and and some of the other infrastructure networks throughout Southeast Asia and elsewhere, mm. uh, and you know, create that sort of seamless. Um, logistics uh, experience. Well, Alex, I can't expect you to wrap this up in a soundbite, but I will. Uh, So are we suggesting short-term pain for hopefully long-term gain? Is that what we're looking at here? Yeah, look, I I think, I think it's a, it's both short-term pain for some uh, short-term gain for some, uh, you know, transition and transitional economics. uh, But ultimately, uh, you know, provided the, the, the world uh, doesn't blow up tomorrow, um, you know, we'll get through this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> that, that wraps it up with a nice bow on it. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> hey, we look forward. Extreme, but you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we, we gotcha. And we certainly would look forward to having you on uh, in the next couple of months or so as, as uh, s- the situation evolves. I won't even say changes, but just evolves. Uh, Alex Capri, Senior Lecturer at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.